Keenan. Ah, William Shakespeare, is that you? What ails you, Keenan? Thou doth seem a sagging potato from the earth's womb untimely ripped, whose eyes, blinded by the harsh light of the autumn morn, see only darkness. Rude. Are, are you asking why I look tired? I couldn't sleep last night. But wherefore was thy slumber interrupted? Wherefore means why, by the way. I know. Because a lot of people get, still get that wrong. I, I know what it means. They're like, wherefore art thou, Romeo? He's right there. Because they, they don't know that she's asking, why is Romeo a Capulet? You know, is it? Uh, I, I know. Wherefore means in Romeo is a Montague. Oh, well, touche. <laughs> so, um, wherefore dost thou look like shit? I had a bad dream. A bad dream? There's no such thing. If it be thus to dream, still let me sleep. What dreams may come to sleep, perchance to dream, to dream a dream. So you're just quoting yourself now? Methinks we need another word. Hey, where'd you get that quill? (laughs) There. I do believe your evil dream did creep upon you like some fell beast in the night. It did, oh. Oh, it did. A, a beast. Oh, I actually like that. It was like it was like a like an owl or, or a raven or a serpent. Actually, I was thinking more like a horse. A horse? What's so scary about a, a female horse? A mare? A nightmare. That's it. That was me. I'm Shakespeare. Shakespeare out. Exit stage right. Farewell. Coming up. What an excellent day for dreams. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 47 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist Minute by Terrifying Minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with Damien holding his friend's arm. And it ends with his mother descending into the subway. But Keenan, how can that be? Mary Karras is dead! Because, Lester, this is a dream sequence. A dream sequence. Okay. (laughs) Get some dreamy music? Yeah, yeah, we're going to get some dreamy music. Mm. (laughs) Or depending, I mean, you know, this is a pretty, this is a pretty scary dream. You know, they ought to make up a word, you know, for bad dreams, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But actually, this studio, Kenan, was there any anyone else in this studio before I came in? It smells very like, um... Ah, middle-agey. I don't know. Like um, someone who hasn't bathed. Yeah, like someone like 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 someone who, you know, for, for them, the, you know, their culture does not uh, value bathing as much. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it smells really smart, though, right? Like, uh, Very anyway. creative. Yeah, yeah. Um, contributing to uh, the English language as we know it. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but before uh, that dream, let's take a look here at the end of this scene with Dyer and Dimi. Um, he lets go of his friend's arm and sort of covers his face, Dimi I'm talking about, um, as if it's just like all too much for him. Um, Dyer then turns off both lights, wishing his friend good night. Uh, this made me think of when Karis was wandering through his mother's apartment while uh, she's sleeping, uh, making sure that she's comfortable uh, before like leaving her. Oh, um, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the same thing is happening to her son now, right? You know, Dyer is, is wandering through this room, kind of like checking everything, making sure everything's safe for Dimmy, um, you know, turning off the lights, closing the door, all that stuff, right? Um, and at the door, Dyer stops when he hears from within the room, stealing is a sin. 
right? <laughs> and this is in reference to uh, the the last minute where where Dyer, uh, you know, uh, jokes that he or maybe jokes. I don't know. Maybe maybe possibly told the truth about like stealing the bottle of uh, of Chivas Regal, um, and also a callback to Karis accusing him of stealing his shoes. Again, very jokey between uh, these two, even in times of great sadness. Um, right. Yeah. Dyer smiles and he closes the door. And, and then uh, as far as we know, because of, you know, that Dyer closes the door and then we cut immediately to Damien and he's already asleep. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, I actually, that wasn't even my, in my notes at all. I just kind of like assumed that like no time had jumped. I thought right. like we were still in real time. Um, but well, yeah, sure. yeah, we're getting that. That's movie logic. Movie logic is just, yeah, we don't, we don't go, what, how did he possibly fall asleep in the, in the, the uh, two seconds since he said uh, stealing is a sin. Right, right. Unless he was like, I don't know, like maybe like half half in and half out of, of waking at oh, that time anyway. I've been there. I, that's how I, that's where I am right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, folks, um, we re- record relatively er- early for both of us on uh, on a weekend. This oh, is, yes. well, I mean, this is a day of rest. We should be resting. We are, we're actually sinning by recording this uh, oh my podcast. Gosh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so- Keenan, do you have a favorite dream sequence or in a movie or um, possibly like a, a like a dream that you had? Um, mm. I'm throwing both of those at you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, one of my favorite filmmakers is Luis Buñuel, the Spanish filmmaker. And most of his movies are um, are dream like. So a lot of them, it feels like a dream the entire movie, even oh. though there's not literally like a shot of somebody falling asleep or not. He, he um, started out making movies um, with his friend Salvador Dali. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Dali um, gets tired of movies uh, and then just goes back to painting and sculpture. And then Bunuel becomes the major um, surrealist filmmaker of all time. So I like his movies. Like um, his most famous one is called Ocean uh, Andalou, which um, is just like a, it's like about 17 minutes long. And it has this really famous shot of this woman's eye being split open by a razor blade. Oh, I think I, I think I have seen that image specifically. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like there's a barber who's like holding her eye open, and then it cuts oh to um, it cuts to the moon, and the um, the uh, a cloud like kind of bisects the moon. It moves across mm-hmm. the sky, and then it cuts back, and we see the razor blade slicing the eyeball. Um, oh and God. it's not really her eye. It's it's a um, if you really are looking, if you do a minute by minute, <laughs> a minute by minute of uh, uh, Andalou, it, um, it it it's very clearly a different eye. It's actually the eye of um of a, a an animal they got from the butcher shop. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. <laughs> right? Not, but you you put it together in your mind, like oh god, it's like the moon being sliced in half, and it's, it's yeah. that woman's eye. Yeah. Uh, can you spell that uh, movie for us, just so oh, our, our listeners can? It's French, so it's U N U. Don't say it like that. <laughs> I've been told that's how you have to pronounce it, or else okay. Because because I I used to say un, which is not correct. That's that's a different French word. Okay, un u n e. So uh, un chien c h i e n andalou a n d a l o u. It means an Andalusian dog, and oh. uh, Andalusia is a is a southern um the region of southern uh Spain, like almost to Morocco, okay. and that's part of the fun that Dali and then Bunuel, who becomes the major filmmaker um, uh, had is that there's no dog in the entire movie and it's not set in Spain. It's set in Paris. And, and the whole thing is like making fun of um, um, narrative and, and trying to get meaning from stories. Cause there's nothing, um, nothing, you know, no greater meaning can be derived from, from watching a story is what they're sort of saying. Right. Interesting. Oh, I really like that. Okay. I'm going to have to check this movie out. It's one of my favorite movies. Okay. But I, I suppose like a dream sequence though, like when we're, sorry, I was cheating a little bit to oh. promote my favorite <laughs> filmmaker, but like a dream sequence where like, where we know it's a dream. There's mm-hmm. a dream sequence in Carrie 
that mm. I don't want to say where it is because it's, it's a surprise or like what's happening in it. But there's one dream sequence in Brian De Palma's Carrie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, when I saw that for the first time, I screamed out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah, I screamed out loud and I've never done that in a movie before. And then I was watching the movie by myself in my parents' room. And uh, and then I, I after the movie was done, I came out. My, my brother and sister were like looking at me like, what's going on? <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a movie. I'm out of scare. Oh. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Um, the one, uh, the one that uh, stood out to me uh, when I was thinking of asking you this question about like dream sequences in movies, I guess uh, because of the nature of this dream that we're going to talk about in a moment, right here, um, is that one in All Dogs Go to Heaven, uh, where Charlie goes to hell, uh, where he like he gets swept I'm up. In, it's so it's so horrible. That's it's, why it's, I'm it's ab- absolutely it's horrible, horrible, right? Don Bluth, Don Bluth loves loves inserting hell into his movies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this one uh, is no exception. And this one is literally hell. It's like mm-hmm. doggy hell. Um, and like yeah, he, uh, Charlie uh, the dog gets swept up in this tornado, and then he gets dropped onto a lava boat with this mm-hmm. weird dragon thing. Um, but I'm also thinking about like the brave little toaster with the bathtub and the clown. <laughs> like these are these were formative moments in our childhood. Um, oh, you remember that awful. one, right? Oh yes, I tried not. I love the brave little toaster. I wonder why I haven't watched it recently. Maybe that's why. Oh, it holds up. It's very, very good. Yeah. <laughs> that bathtub. Um, oh. mm, 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 mm. Um, <laughs> folks who've never seen this are like bathtub, clown, tornado, <laughs> lava boat, right? They're all on YouTube, folks. Check them out. Um, the hydrochloric acid of our childhood, right? Check them out today. Um, <laughs> then you'll be like, oh, that's why these guys are doing this now. <laughs> so I want to point out. So we said, uh, you know, you, you're asking like dreams and movies. Do we have favorite dreams and movies? We we picked nightmares exclusively. Is yes. that is that because of who we are or is it because of like those are the the dream sequences that we really remember the nightmare idea that's a good question is there a tendency by movie makers to it's like okay we're going to do a dream sequence here it's going to be a nightmare Mm -hmm. or are we just remembering the nightmares and not remembering any dreams folks listeners um do you like yeah write write to us uh the exorcist minute at gmail.com tell us of any like dream sequences in movies um that uh that that you remember Uh, i i don't know i'm i'm leaning more on uh, the belief that filmmakers just like making uh, nightmares in their movies rather than regular dreams, because like what you know what uh, what's a what's a regular dream going to be? Uh, you know, as as interesting as as like a nightmare. Yeah, you know? the best I can think of now that I'm trying is in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> mm. So, uh, um, what's his name? Lloyd has a dream about um, about meeting Lauren Holly's character. He meets her for the first time. He falls in love with her, and then it goes into a dream sequence, and it, it's um, it's even set to like all I need to do is dream, <laughs> and it's like mm. it's very 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 um, uh, very romantic, and 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 you know, it's his version of like oh, what it's like to have a, a love dream sequence, and right. then it ends with them by the fire, and and they're going to make love, and she she takes her shirt off, and you remember what's in her shirt. It's, oh, <laughs> it's uh, headlights from the truck that's coming right towards him in oh, real see? life. <laughs> see, and that like that's a, that's an example right there. And even like like even as you were uh, uh, saying that, I was trying to think of a good dream. And then like my mind was like, oh yeah, a goofy movie at the very beginning, uh-huh. right? Max is dreaming about uh, what's her name, Roxanne, uh-huh. and you know, and they're together in this like you know this field of of flowers, and and uh, you know they're they're all flirty and they're getting all lovey. And th- but that it that also ends in a nightmare. Oh. Right, because he be, he starts becoming his dad, right? Like he oh, starts God, like yeah. his knees get all knobby and and his his face gets all like like um like big like right. like Goofy's 
face and and he does the uh, yuk, you know yuk. yeah <laughs> and then she screams and, yeah. Yuk. <laughs> yeah so even when even when dreams are like like they start out good in movies they always end up mm, like like yeah yeah unless okay unless it's like a, a dream that's like too good to be true mm-hmm. and then you got to wake up and realize oh no that wasn't real this is the reality life sucks hmm. so it's never a positive thing even when it's a good dream because the good dream is only there to like remind you that that's not the reality all right that's interesting right it's like it's like somebody's kissing you and then like you know it transitions into like your dog licking your face or something like that <laughs> you've been making out with an orangutan right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i can never think of like like hmm that was a good dream okay you know time to continue on to my adventure it's like that, <laughs> But yeah, so as as far as uh, me, Keenan, um, I'm going to tell you a dream that I still remember uh, that I had when I when I was very very young. So uh, there was a time in kindergarten when we were making uh like like we set out to make a giant gingerbread man, mm. and we were literally going to make like a a, a child sized gingerbread man. I think this was like like right before the the holiday break. We were going to make a, a gingerbread man, and not a little one, but it was going to be like a kid sized one. Um, and they needed uh, you know, a model, you know, um, so they laid me down on butcher paper (laughs) and, uh, my, my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Mitchell, uh, you know, took a marker and traced my outline on this butcher paper all the while cracking jokes about how, uh, they were all going to eat me (laughs) and, and the kids, uh, you know, they, they, they joined in and it was just real funny for everybody. Um, it was like, yeah, Lester was like, you're going to taste so good. We're going to eat you up. And, you know, being in kindergarten and trusting adults to, you know, not be, uh, like this, I was like, oh shit, what have I gotten myself into? It's like, and like, there was, there was a part of my brain that was like, okay, this is, ha ha, yeah, this is funny. Ha Huh. And just like not being sure about it. Um, if she and then was late- really going to eat me, she wouldn't tell me. Right. <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not the smart thing to do. <laughs> um, and then later that night, uh, I, of course, spoiler alert, I, I was fine. Um, you, you know, didn't get I'm still, eaten. I didn't get eaten, Keenan. Um, I you, just, you're, you're fast. I'm, I'm, I'm super fast, <laughs> super right? Fast. Catch, I catch jumped off. Catch all... can. You can't yeah. catch me. I'm the gingerbread Lester. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but no, like, so, so later that night, um, I had a dream and I had a dream that, uh, and you always like understand things in the dreams, like without like, uh, knowing how you came to that realization. It's just like, it's just a known thing. Like mm-hmm. I knew that my, my teacher, uh, Mrs. Mitchell was the witch from Hansel and Gretel. And that at some point during the class, she was going to uh, throw me in an oven um, and cook me. And we were all like sitting and we were eating little gingerbread men. Um, Where did those little gingerbread men come from? I don't know. But like we're all eating them. And she's like, yes, yes, enjoy your gingerbread. And, and, you know, and that and nothing will nothing bad will happen, you know, come from this. And I'm just sitting. All the other kids are, are having fun eating their, eating their gingerbread man. And I'm like, I don't know about this. Um, and then at the very last minute, I realized that I'm in a dream, which has never happened to me since. Oh, okay. And I was like, all I have to do is wake up and then I'll be okay. And I tried like several times and it wasn't working. I was like, my eyes are already open. How do I open my eyes again? And at the very, very last minute, um, it's kind of anticlimactic, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I opened my eyes and then, and then I was awake. So yeah. Again, I didn't get eaten. 
This is Mitchell, if you're out there. Yeah, <laughs> you this is Mitchell. Me, you owe my friend Lester an apology. Yeah. Um, is what is the uh, you know what, what do we say like um emotional, oh, emotional damage? Emotional damage. Yeah. Emotional damage. Yeah. <laughs> and Mrs. Mitchell, if you're out there, and if you are a witch, that's okay too. <laughs> yes, we've changed our ideas since kindergarten. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just don't eat people. Right, you can't eat um, people. But you can be a witch if you want to. Yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, um, but yeah. So, like, I don't know. I I feel like uh, dreams are always such a cool opportunity for writers, uh, for filmmakers, directors. Um, anytime you have a dream in a creative project, a, a a piece of art, I'm excited because it holds so much promise, right? It's an opportunity to do things, um, with the fabric of the story without limitations, right? Without adhering to the rules, which you have set thus far in the story. Um, you can alter time and space. You can play with sound. You can bring characters back from the dead, like we have here, or you can like straight up kill them. You can even make characters fall in love. The dream world is more powerful than Aladdin's genie. <laughs> See, we, can, we can't, we can't bring people back from the dead. We can't make them fall in love with you. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But, but dreams can do that. You can do that in a dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not to get too, uh, um, heady about this, but you know, like hmm. this, um, this dream sequence, uh, shows a side of father Karras We haven't really seen before. Right. Right. He has this, uh, this mask, this persona that you were talking about. Mm-hmm, and now we get mm-hmm. to see his, his inner life. Um, and, Movies specifically, they spend a lot of their beginning um, real estate, like like uh, you know, um, temporal real estate, if you will. So like the first thirty minutes, or maybe like fifteen minutes, like about hmm. explaining to you how to how to watch the movie, like what the rules are of this world. Right. So we we spend our time like trying to establish that this is in the real world, and then there's this force out there that makes this these other things happen, and then potentially um, Father Marin is seeing things a little off, but Father right. Harris is not. Right. He's seeing things as they are like we can trust him. Um, So a dream sequence in any film allows us to break the rules like that. That's fair game. Right. We say, okay, this is a world where people talk backwards. This is a world where um, time and space collide. We we can do anything you want in a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I guess uh, like in one way, it can be uh, extremely unreliable. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially if if we're in the dream of a character who uh, doesn't have all the information. Right. Um, But in another sense, uh, it can be like a great insight into exactly what a, a character thinks and feels, right? Without the social conventions and, or, or the limitations, right? And again, like going back to the Shakespeare trope or the, the Shakespeare trap. Um, but yeah, so I guess we're in here now. Um, <laughs> but like dreams are less about like information and more about feelings, right. right? So whatever is happening to you in that dream, you best believe that that is the personal truth of that character, right? It may not be objectively true, uh, but it's true for them because the dream reflects their innermost thoughts, right? So in that way, a dream is like a nice little uh, cheat sheet for a character like, oh, okay, this, this is what they really feel. These are uh, all their motivations. These are uh, their fears, their desires, right? That is, of course, if if you can figure it out, right? And that's an, an, another way you can play with it. You can tell the truth in a different way with all new uh, uh, puzzle pieces. And, and part of the fun um, can be like not quite understanding the dream until later, right? After we've seen it and, and, and something in the real world like reminds us of something that we saw in the dream, right. right? It's their truth, their character's truths, and sometimes it's their feelings that they don't even know that they had, right? This is right. how they discover that they really have those feelings. Right. This is that unconscious, like, uh, coming up to the surface and saying, hey, like, you think the problem is this, but really it's this. <laughs> All right. I want to do some film theory with you, Lester. Oh, oh, okay. All right. So 
it's let me start with a thought experiment here. So we have a lot of documented evidence that people mm. in the 20th century said that uh, they, their dreams were a lot like movies. And you've probably yes. experienced this as well. Mm-hmm. I, I can remember at least two. I remember one dream of mine that was in black and white. And mm-hmm. it was a pod person movie, like an invasion of the body snatchers. And, um, and you know, uh, you, like you were saying earlier, you, in dreams, you get, a, you get information, um, as the audience and as the, uh, and as the protagonist of the dream, right? Like yes. You know that this, that this witch teacher of yours has secrets and somehow you oh, know right. the secrets and somehow you know your own. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So you have both the objective and subject information that we'd be given to a character. And in this black and white pod person dream that I had, um, I recognized one of the actors. It was Edie McClurg. Who I know from um, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was really because you know, can you imagine an Invasion of the Body Snatcher movie where it's like Edie McClurg? He's just the nicest person, <laughs> you know. Um, and she's she's like, and then she's in danger, and like, oh god! And it was this um, like this uh, barn dance, like this hoedown, mm-hmm. and um, and it's like, like dosy do thing, and people are spinning each other around. They're getting closer to their partners or not, you know. And like mm-hmm, she, mm-hmm. So every time she comes around, she's laughing or eating McClurg way with her high voice. Ah! And she's getting yeah. closer and closer to the other pod person every time they come around. And she's having oh my goodness, like, oh no, Edie McClurg, no. Um, I'm trying. So she's the secretary in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and um, right, um, she's the rental car agent in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> with like mm-hmm. the best scene in that. Um, yeah. yeah, and then I had another one, another dream that I remember that was specifically like. A movie, like not just like mm-hmm. a movie, but a movie, which was like a Poseidon right. adventure type dream, like a disaster movie involving like a capsized boat. Mm-hmm. And in that one, um, I died. <laughs> oh my God. So my, okay. my character died. And then I had to watch the rest of the movie. And I remember even in the dream going, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm dead. And I just have to keep watching as the other people go on. So you were conscious mm-hmm. after after you had died yes. and, and you're like watching the rest and of I was, it. Wow. I was a little peeved. <laughs> <laughs> Just right. sitting there with your non-existing arms folded. It's <laughs> like, well, this isn't this isn't, isn't fun, fun at all. Yes, and eventually credits came up, so that, that was oh good. well. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so there's documented evidence in the 20th century where people were saying I had a dream that was so much like a movie. Right mm-hmm. now, the the question for film theorists is: Do we design movies to be like our dreams, mm. or do people start dreaming? like the movies once they're once they're first shown what a movie is interesting and i yeah we've touched on this before mm-hmm. we've touched on this in uh, a previous minute i think we were in like iraq and right. we were mm-hmm. uh, talking about like the dreaminess of uh Marin's experience it's the onerism um, the it's, dreams yes. are oneric it's called dreamlike mm-hmm. right yeah and i uh, like he, that is that is a good question of like you know this this chicken or the egg mm-hmm. uh type situation of like yeah like like I guess there's no way to to be able to tell like what dreams were like before uh, uh, film, right? right? It'd be like, very difficult, um, right? Because they wouldn't mm-hmm. have the vocabulary that we. It, it's like a movie. It's cinematic. Right. I had a flashback. There was a flash forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even if even if we're reading like some um, Elizabethan mm-hmm. uh, person's like recounting of their dream, it it may not like. Even then, we would probably see it in movie language, right. like what they're describing, because we have no other way to uh, um, interpret it. Can't go um, backwards. Nope. Yeah. You can't, can't go un- backwards. Can't unimagine a movie. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So so your question of, of whether or not like we created movies to be more like our dreams or our dreams. Um, Inf- uh, or our movies influence the way that we dream. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, I have I have no way. I, There's no way to I'm, know it. I'll let you off the hook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's it's an impossible well, yeah film theory question. But also, I like I'm thinking of of like like snippets of dreams that I've had where they just don't seem to make sense. Mm-hmm. 
Um, like, and it very clearly from, if it is a movie, it's from my POV, like, like, like even to the point of like the camera, like being my eyes and moving Mm -hmm. around. Right. And like walking into a room and seeing something, seeing something like not special at all. And then just like walking out of it Mm -hmm. and was like, Oh, okay. Well, there's a, that's where I left that. Okay. And then just like walking, walking out. Um, and that certainly isn't like any movie I've experienced. I don't know Mm -hmm. though. Like, like, yeah. How do we account then for like the, like the, some of the like more nonsensical kind of like, this is strange, but it's not like anything spectacular type dream. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. I think there are movies like that. Maybe not, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not genre entertainment exorcist like mm-hmm. type movies, but right. there are movies that are, that can be like that. Maybe movie, mm-hmm. maybe, um, maybe, I mean, you could make a movie like that, I suppose. And it would still yeah. be a movie. Yeah, actually. Hmm. I mean, it, it, thinking about it now, it, I mean, it, like, it, it could almost be like, um, you know, those like urbex, like urban exploration, you know, oh, yeah. uh, type people just like walking through rooms with their with their shaky phone camera, just kind of like going from place to place oh. and having no like narrative uh, uh, through line or anything like Absolutely. that. So, yeah. OK, well, there you go. I mean. Yeah. So we, we solved if, film theory. <laughs> no, I, I think, I think we, we answered the question that it can't be solved. I think. <laughs> okay. Oh, great. <laughs> so we're back. We're back where we started. Put that above your yeah. office door. I, I'm here to answer the question <laughs> that it can't be solved. That it can't be solved. Yeah. <laughs> so our dreams are like movies. Our movies are like dreams. And in the uh, 1930s and 40s, as um, a little guy named Sigmund Freud, are you familiar with Sigmund Freud? Oh, I think I've heard that name before. <laughs> as his work starts to permeate into literary studies, as opposed to mm-hmm. staying within the sciences and medicine, um, we start having critics who are reading novels and reading plays. And then uh, especially in movies, this becomes a really big thing where we have mm-hmm. Freudian style film criticism. Yeah. And uh, you'll often hear this today because Freud is no longer really thought of as um, the end all be all. And he's certainly discredited right. in a lot of the sciences and medical. Like there's very little that science and medicine use Freud for anymore. Right. But in yes. criticism, they use him still a lot. But the mm. basic idea is if movies are like dreams, then we can interpret movies as if they were dreams. So we use a lot of the oh. same psychoanalytical critis- uh, psychoanalytical dream interpretation um, that you used to hear uh, Sigmund Freud and uh, Carl Jung do in their practices. Now we'll mm. do it in film theory and then uh, also novel novel theory, like uh, novel criticism. Yeah, so we can so we can do it of a couple of different ways. Some people like to think that if we interpret the the movie as a dream, we might even get insight into the director and like as if they were mm. writing their own dreams or whoever we think of as the main author of the film, the director or the writer or the producer or yeah. the main actor. Um, that yeah, we can look into their their brain and start picking at it like Freud. Interesting. Oh, I really like that. All right. Well, speaking of that, speaking of uh, picking brains and interpretation, um, yeah, let's see if we can interpret this dream. All right. So here we go. Lester and Keenan are on the case. Let's see uh, what we can make of this this dream we right here in this movie. Big cigars that mean nothing. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. It's just cigars. <laughs> We're stroking our little beards or Van Dykes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Okay. So yeah, let's look at this thing. So we start with the Joseph medal and it's falling. Okay. Uh, first question is this Marin's medal is this Karis's medal is it just supposed to represent saint joseph in general or or faith uh, like what do we think so there are there are two wait wait <laughs> actually okay so that's a that's a there good are question are there two medals <laughs> it, like, the, uh, like in the movie uh-huh. Marin uncovers a joseph medal in iraq right right and 
we haven't seen it yet, but like <laughs> later on, doesn't Karis have the Joseph medal also? He, he does because Father Dyer gives it away at the end. No, 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 no. Before that, before that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, so I'm saying yes, yes. He, he, well, there must be a scene. I mean, I'm, I'm saying I remember that scene the most. So there mm-hmm. must be a scene where he has it before. Yeah, I'm, I'm remembering specifically um, when he's confronting the demon, the demon actually rips it off of his neck. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so at some point, Karis also has a Father Joseph medal. Is this, are we to understand this is the same one? Did, did Marin give it to him or does he have another, are there two medals or is there one? Now at this point in the story, we only know the one, right? We haven't seen Damien with his own. So that's a really good point, right? So we like, so we don't know that he has a, a a St. Joseph's medal. So, so we're not even supposed to associate it, associate this with Karis at all. I suppose not. So then he would, this is, this is Marin's medal, Marin's medal, you know, I mean, uh, you know, again, intellectually we go, Oh, well, there's a bunch of these things around the world, but emotionally, right. We're like, Oh, we've seen this before in Iraq. Right. Oh, okay. Oh man, that, that actually changes my whole interpretation of this. Cause I was, <laughs> I was, I was linking this medal to father Karis because I know that he has this medal at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still didn't know if this was like, if father Marin gave him the one that he found in Iraq or if he already had one extra one. Oh, they or, haven't met each other yet. They haven't even met each other yet. Right. So, so the, so you're saying Keenan, the only St. Joseph medal we know about up to this point is the one that Father Marin found. Right. And then we have a couple other shots uh, and coming up that are from Iraq that Damien would not be able to have seen. Right. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, okay. So there's that. Um, so yeah, like, like what do we think this, this metal is like, this metal is falling through, uh, not space, Mm -hmm. right? It's not blackness. We're going to, we're going to see blackness in a little bit, but there's like something here. Looks like a rug or or something. There's some kind of pattern. Yeah. Yeah. I see like later on, this dream does feature like a black void, Mm -hmm. right? But here there's like this pattern in the back. It's really blurry. It looks like it could be, uh, like you say, Keenan, some kind of like floral design on a carpet or upholstery, like maybe curtains or something like that. Right. Yeah. We're kind of moving down, not quite like super symmetrical, but we're basically moving down the center of this uh, sort of abstract fractal like pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I might know where it is. Mm, okay. um, I think it is a place in our movie. I checked ahead. I cheated a little uh-huh. bit. And I checked ahead and I think I know it's all the way at the end. Oh, but okay. I checked I checked to see if there was like any furniture, any carpeting. And I think this might be foreshadowing. I don't know. Um, uh, but w- like that, which is so cool because like in that way, this metal is doing like double, maybe uh, uh, triple duty like that fire in the other mm-hmm. scene. Like I love how like open to interpretation this is, but also how like how uh, uh true all of the interpretations are mm-hmm. right um so yeah like again like could this be like damien falling from grace right like he is he is losing that last bit of his faith right this is this is the last remnant of his faith and it is falling away right mm-hmm. joseph joseph is the patron uh saint of fathers and damien is losing that title of father Karis, okay right mm-hmm. possibly so so keenan would you like even though we've we've decided that like upon first viewing, we shouldn't know that this metal is associated with Karis, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, it's in Marin's possession, huh, right. possession. <laughs> it's in Marin's possession. Uh, and that's all we have seen thus far. Right. But I still associate this metal with Karis. How about you? Yeah. When I watched this, um, you know, to get ready for this show, I was like, okay, that's, that's Karis's metal. It's only afterwards where I have to sort of put myself in the, in the seat of someone who hasn't seen the movie before. Like, oh wait, no, it can't be Karis's metal. Right. Interesting. So, and, 
Again, now, like, however we decide to interpret these things, I, I can't help but marvel at the fact that both of us immediately associated this metal with him. Like, both of us were like, oh, that is Karis, right? It's, it's not like the dream saying, hey, Karis, Marin is in trouble or Joseph is in trouble, right? No, like, both of us were like, hey, Karis, this is you. You are in trouble, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, like, however we want to interpret it. I also like how we're so close to it as it falls through the air that we uh, – are getting this like sinking feeling, this sense of uh, vertigo. Oh yeah, because right? we're falling with it. It's not that we have a stationary camera and the and the metal is falling into frame and then out of frame, as if it's like sort of past our point of view. Right, we are going with it mm-hmm. now. The next shot is of a black dog, and it's running through this blurry gray landscape that looks kind of wet. Like my first thought was that we're like back in New York, like on that street that Karis was walking down, like heading to his mother's apartment, right? Like just those broken streets with the potholes, like filled with water, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just blurry enough that it could be anywhere, right? It, it could, it's, it's real low to the ground. There's no skyline. There's no sky. Um, it could be any place. It could be like volcanic ash. Who knows? Right. right? There's no horizon. I assumed, and I guess, you know, I, you're catching me in some of my assumptions. I assumed it was in Iraq, like I was just saying. Because we've seen dogs before, but in that Iraq sequence specifically, they're on, you know, they're outside on, um, on, you know, desert, desert, uh, sand and dust. Right. And it's a very like, kind of like orangey yellow, um, you know, uh, sunrise or sunset, like, uh, uh, color right. of the, of the earth that they're on. But it's like, um, again, like, like we are, we're blurring these things, right? Like this is father, but we're recalling imagery from Iraq. Mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. if we're, even if we don't, even if we just completely thought this was Karis's metal and Karis's dog or a dog in the neighborhood, whatever, like we're echoing, mm-hmm. we're mirroring things from the beginning. Right, right. So even if this isn't a dog specifically in Iraq, it's reminding us, it's like, oh yeah, where have we seen dogs where before, have we seen right? Before, right. Very, very visceral imagery of dogs before. So it's hard mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. like, just forget that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and of, of course, also like, um, you know, the black dog, right? Mm-hmm. This famous mythological kind of, um, messenger right much like uh you know like the banshee or the you know um or or like i I guess like ravens or crows or something like that Mm -hmm. right it's supposed to uh, you know like um uh be a prelude to death right Mm -hmm. like you see the black dog and you're like oh that means you know that someone is going to die right um and i marked the trajectory of this dog and i wonder again like if this is like thinking too much into it but like it sort of makes this arc when he's running left and he circles and he heads to the right. And if you lay these shots on top of one another, like like cells on an animation thing, mm-hmm. right? He's actually heading for Karis's position in the previous shot, right. like he, almost like he's going for his throat, mm-hmm. right? Right. And similarly, we're going to see in a second, he also could be heading for Mary Karis, right? We, we get the, like a brief shot of her, a brief flash, and then she's gone. Right. right. So Damien has been on the right side of the frame. His father Dyer puts him to bed. The dog starts. Um, we're kind of, you know, not necessarily match cutting where we're like a match cut is if we cut from a circle object like the St. Joseph's medal to another circle object, the sun or a clock or something. Right. Right. But we are we uh, there's another idea called eye trace. Which is, um, mm. which is uh, a lot of people have talked about it, but it's most commonly associated with Walter Murch, the editor. Um, he was also the sound designer on The Godfather, um, and he became a, a major editor, and he wrote an editing book. But I trace, like, where is your eye at the end of one shot when we cut into the next shot? So now mm. with my technology, I can move, uh, not quite frame by frame, but pretty close. And yeah. when I'm looking at this metal, and if I'm watching this metal fall, my eye is in this spot, and then we click once, it's at the dog's mouth. 
So, it, you know, ah. so it picks up exactly where that is. So then the dog is, uh, as you say, yeah, comes a little bit kind of to the left of the, um, or sort of, sort of moving um, so that they start positioning the dog where it's running from left to right. Yeah. And, um, and then it, when that cuts, if we're looking at the dog's eye, we are mm-hmm. cut directly into Mary Karras's nose. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, so the, it's not quite matching. It's not saying these things are similar, but um, it, you know, our eye on the cut is where the filmmakers want us to be, to be in perfect position to see the next thing. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah. So uh, we get this very brief shot of uh, Mary Karras um, and then there's this like flash mm-hmm. and she's gone yeah as in as in like her she she, like a like a camera flash almost right like a camera and and like i'm not saying like so the shot doesn't doesn't change right Mm because like like we're talking like microseconds right now guys um this is you know this is where like uh uh like the skip buttons the 10 seconds forward 10 (laughs) seconds backwards in amazon are like maddening right right? you know because they fling me so far away from the thing that i'm trying to watch right but this this uh, dream sequence has a lot of it, like it cuts, it, it cuts to different things. It's like, we got the clock, we got the dog, we got the, the, uh, the face, we got Mary Karis, right? But what I noticed about Mary's, uh, specific little bit here is that it doesn't cut from Mary to another thing. First, what happens is she's in this like black void and we get that flash and then she's gone, but the black void is still there, mm-hmm. right? So after Mary Karras disappears, it doesn't cut to the next shot. It lingers on this blackness, right? As micro quick as it is, like it feels like that's intentional. Like that's one, like that's all one single thought. Like Mary Karras against a black background, mm-hmm. and then she disappears, leaving only the void. And then we cut to a shot of the clock pendulum. Right. Um, so yeah, like, and, and I, I want to talk a little bit later about like, in this dream, you know, the, the like different types of like darkness and blackness, right? Um, but yeah, so it, I, they could have just like gone from Mary to the clock, mm-hmm. right? Why didn't they do that? Why didn't they just go, you know, a uh, uh, quick flash, Mary to the clock? It was Mary blackness clock. Um, and then just the way that our, our perception works, not just with sight, but in any of our senses, if we, mm. if we have a big sensory overload, um, with like this light flash, then the opposite mm-hmm. of that, the darkness feels even darker than if we had never yes. seen that. Yeah, precisely. Right. So they chose to have her disappear from her own shot mm-hmm. before moving on to the next one. Right. So his mother is gone. It's only blackness now. Right. Mm-hmm. Then we got the clock pendulum. Right. Time has passed or time is passing. Right. Or, or, or time is running out. Right. And and that's the uh, pendulum from the clock in Iraq. It has to be right. It's so noticeable because we have mm-hmm. we've had a very similar shot this close to the pendulum with the same pattern. I mean, so it's unmistakable. Um, right. So that's part of the, the great thing about, you know, picking out stuff for set decoration and design. Like, OK, this is a really important clock. Let's, we need the audience to know for sure this is the exact same one. So let's make right. it a little noticeable. There's sort of an asterisk um, in the glass uh, of the pendulum, the clock or the grandfather clock. So we know what it is. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's very distinct. I always thought it like, um, I, I mean, and you know, until like inspecting this further that it was like a, some kind of flaw in the glass, mm-hmm. like a, like a, like a crack or something. Right. The kind you get in your car if you drive in Los Angeles. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> right. right? With, all those, with all those little stones on the roads and stuff like it's that. Pretty, right? It's a little star that's coming out. Yeah. You're going to see stars in LA kid. <laughs> All kinds of stars. So um, um, before we move on, I just want to reiterate yeah. that, like, um, so may, so maybe the Joseph medal is Damien's medal that he's remembering. 
Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the dog is his own dog, and it's us as the audience who was putting those things together, and you know, and quite possibly um, the filmmakers willfully creating this um, this uh, elision between these two, or maybe collision. Mm-hmm. But this is the clock from the office of the dean of antiquities in mm-hmm. uh, in Nineveh, right? Yeah. Uh, in Iraq. Uh, this shot, however, of this clock is a moment that we've seen. It's a feeling. It's a memory. It's an impulse from Father Marin. It's that is impossible for Karis to have experienced or even to have heard about. Where this is right. the clock in the um, in the office of the Dean of Antiquities. No, wait, not the Dean. Yeah. <laughs> I love how we've mashed those two up. He's he's the Dean of Antiquities. Oh my goodness! He, and and the curator of the university. Yes, <laughs> he's the curator of the of the Museum of Antiquities in Nineveh, yes. in Iraq. Right. <laughs> yes. And Father Karras has no reason to have even heard about this happening. Right. Right. Correct. Yeah. And this feeling that Father Marin experienced, right, that he mm-hmm. might not even like. He wouldn't have told anybody, right? He doesn't tell his friend, the um, the curator, that, hey, as I'm talking to you, this clock has stopped, and I don't know if time exists anymore. Like, we see mm-hmm. him specifically not sharing his fears and his thoughts with that curator. Right, So it's exactly. like this, it's not just like this moment of weirdness or what have you. It's like a deeply unsettling moment that Damien has apparently, um, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, uh, consumed from somewhere in the ether. Yeah. And what is the one thing we remember about that clock? It stopped that one mm-hmm. time, right? But now it's in motion, right? This is this is mm-hmm. the the exact opposite of what the clock was famous for. Right, right? it's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so next shot is Mary Karis, and she is rising from the earth, right? Rising from the dead, Ooh. Um, or from a subway station, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what it actually is, right? Same um, thing. Same thing, right? You feel like you're in the land of the dead when you're taking the subway. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and then we have Dimmy, right? No Father Karras here, right? He is dressed in regular clothes, white on top, black on the bottom. Um, he is on a traffic island. I guess that's what you call those things, mm-hmm. right? Um, he's he's waving. He's trying to get his mother's attention. We don't hear anything. I love also this choice to have not just no sound, right? Because mm-hmm. if you listen, folks, it's not the absence of sound. We are hearing Damien's breathing right from from real life when he's been sleeping right yeah so he's he's still in that room um you know sleeping with the lights off right and he's got he's he's making these um these kind of like mouth nasal like like breathing uh noises right like there's a little catch in his throat right right? and we can we can hear that and it's very intimate it's very heating heating breaths (laughs) yes precisely right but no it's it's almost like he's like so close to us like he's Mm -hmm. in our ear right and that makes me think it's like we are we are so in this dream we are in this dream with him Mm -hmm. but yeah i really really like that and yeah so the dream itself we don't hear anything right um but we see uh, in the dream we see dimmy shout mama right and it's it's got it there's no other like interpretation of that he is Mm -hmm. shouting mama right right and then we cut back to his mother and she's looking lost and afraid and she calls out dimi again it's unmistakable right he's saying mama and she's saying Mm dimi right and this look on her face is so upsetting right like she's lost and she's afraid and and we can't really hear the city we hear something right because now another sound is kind Mm -hmm. of like permeating into this dream right but we can imagine the noise and the chaos of you know that this poor woman um you know is experiencing right she looks like she has groceries right that little that little touch mm-hmm. right i don't know why but like that hits me uh like she went to go out and get food you know to fix for her demi mm-hmm. right um and time doesn't exist in dreams right so he's seeing his mom as she was in 
all times, right? So right. at the same time, with like with the groceries, um, you know, here she is dressed in black, right? That sh- that could be like her her funeral clothes, or she's mourning, or or something, right? Um, but she's also dressed, you know, in her in her Sunday best, right? And she's going out and running errands, right? Doing a little shopping, right? It, it like all of this can like be existing at at the same time in this dream, right? Um, this is this is not Mama with uh you know in the bed with the bad leg, so mm-hmm. you know she can't walk anymore, right? This is Mama taking care of business, right? Taking care of Dimi, right? Or, or at least she's trying to, but she's getting older and the city is getting meaner and noisier and harder to navigate. Right. I like that a lot. We talked a little bit about our, our ideas of heaven and, you know, if mm. you go to heaven and, and your, your grandmother is um, 60, the way that you want to remember her in her heaven, she's not, she might not be 60, she might be 20 or she might be 80 when she passed away. Right. right and and right. this is sort of, um, yeah, an amalgamation of all the, um, of all these ideas he has of his mother. Yeah. Oh, and uh, yeah, in her shot, as she's coming up from the subway, she comes up kind of slowly, right? And and she she it's not it's not incredibly stylized where she's like on a rig where they're they're making her rise up without walking. But right. She does. You can see the steps. You can see the steps, but she still it still gives the feeling right of her sort of rising up, you know. Yes. Um, and everyone behind her is moving just horizontally, so she's the only thing that's sort of you know breaking the, the horizon there and moving up. And then in yes. Damien's side of it, it looks like behind him we have both lanes of traffic are heading against him. So mm-hmm. he's in some area where like it's, he's not walking with traffic at all. He's, he's walking against traffic and then yes. behind him, it's like a bridge or something that, that all the cars are starting to go. So at a certain point they are, they're all rising up. So in his frame, as he's trying to come towards us, like we, we continue that rising action of Mary, but it's going, it's going in the background against Damien. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ooh. And yeah. So Keenan, once again, <laughs> I'm, I'm pausing. I'm rewinding. I'm trying to read Mary Karras's lips. It looks like she says Dimi, right? Like mm-hmm. I said, and something else, it looks like she says maybe just Dimi again, right? And so I try to pause and guess what I paused on or guess Oh, who? no. <laughs> <laughs> it's our good buddy, Captain Howdy. And folks, this, this is the famous shot. This is uh, the shot that's been uh, duplicated and replicated all across the internet. This, th- like, uh, you know, this, this image right here. And if you don't already have it burned into your brain, just hop on Google and Type Captain Howdy face, and it's the first, uh, second, third mm-hmm. thing that pops mm-hmm. up, right? And I, I, I want to talk about this shot. Um, I've been, I've been uh, uh, waiting to talk about this shot for for quite some time now. Um, it's it's funny because like we're we're talking about like we're examining a minute mm-hmm. of this film, and we're examining it by seconds. But this is even shorter than a second. This is like I don't even know what you like like a, a millisecond, right? Um, but we've seen Captain Howdy in the hospital in that in that added scene. But I wanted to hold off until we got to this scene because, uh, one, this one is so iconic. And two, this one would have been the first one that people ever saw. Imagine, folks, you're in the theater. You're in the dark. The sound has just cut out or it has uh, uh, become muffled in this weird dream sequence, right? You're being lulled into this dreamy nature of the images playing before your eyes. You get a falling metal. You get a dog. You get a clock. You get Mary Karras. You know, it's like, Dimi. And it's almost like the movie is whispering, hey, Mm -hmm. hey, these images mean something. Hey, come closer. Lean in. See if you can interpret the meaning of these images. And then, hang on, what was that? I didn't, I didn't see that, did I? <laughs> you did. And what I like about this, by design, this white face against a black backdrop is going to leave an after image on the surface of your eyes. So your brain is actually going to linger a little longer on this thing even after it's gone. Mm-hmm. 
right? Has that ever happened to you? Like, like you've looked at, um, they have those like little visual tricks, right? It's like stare really, really hard at this, mm -hmm. uh, 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 like at this, uh, black image and then stare at a white backdrop, right. uh, you know, and you'll see, or, or vice versa, stare at this white image and then look at a black backdrop and you're, and it's almost like there's like a shadow kind of like on, on the surface of your eyes right. as you look away. Yeah, they call that right? the persistence of vision. Mm. Um, and for, for many decades, that's what um, uh, perceptual science, I don't know you call them, um, oh, geez, sensory psychologists. There's probably a better term. <laughs> but, you know, psychologists who study how we perceive, um, they right. thought that the persistence of vision, this idea that you're talking about, or like when you, um, when I shine a flashlight in your face or, you know, the camera flash goes off and you still see it even, even after the camera's put away, right? right. Um, they thought that that's how uh, the illusion of movement works in movies oh. and, and more recently we say it's not actually um but that that's oh. just that's sorry <laughs> <laughs> you brought me up and then you brought me down <laughs> but you hear that term a lot associated with movies the persistence of vision because it just has this nice term to it and then vision right. is this double meaning right of like how we see but then also uh, how we create and you know art right vision right um, but it's not, it's not quite, that's not how it works actually, but it's like the, um, but it certainly is one of these things that we get to explore, um, you know, mm. in our sensory psychology, kids can explore this, right? Just on their own, the, the persistence of vision. So it's yes. one of the most um, interesting sort of psychological party games that we can play with ourselves. Yeah. And so yes. yeah, in this shot, like similar how we had a shot of Mary Karras and then it flashes white at this poor woman's face. It, it looks to me right. like that's actually them you know, flashing an extra light on her and it's not in the edit. When you go back and look frame by frame as I'm doing, you can, it, it, that's what I think is happening. So, oh. you know, by making it super white then the black afterwards feels more black. Um, yes. Yeah. We have a little bit of that here. And then um, I actually can go in my Blu-ray rip as an MOV. I can go frame by frame. So you're talking oh. about like how much of Captain Howdy do we actually see? We mm -hmm. see, two frames of Captain Howdy, which would be one wow. twenty-fourth um, of a second. So it goes black, one twenty-fourth of a second Captain Howdy, white, one twenty-fourth of a second of Captain Howdy, and then black. And that's all. Wow. So that's yeah, we're it. talking about two frames. And just how iconic those two frames have become, like just in the, uh, I guess, community of, uh, you know, the people who, who uh, watch this movie, right. like... This is this is like one of the main things that people talk about or mm -hmm. people remember. And how much like two frames? Yeah, like you're talking right. You're talking about how like we're seeing it afterwards, right? It is mm -hmm. it's burned into us. It's like we're leaning in metaphorically, um, and so yeah, we it's, we only see it for uh, you know two twenty fourths of a second, but mm -hmm. we feel it for yes. much longer. Yes, definitely. Um, it stays with us, and I think so. Um, uh, I believe Andy Nelson, right? Mm -hmm. Marvel Movie Minutes, Andy Nelson. Um, he was talking about like his experience of watching this film and uh, like kind of the rumors uh, circulating about it's like, oh, if you watch the movie and you see the devil in it, um, <laughs> is do you think this is what he's talking about? Like the little Captain I Howdy think Flash? so, right? Because it's the type of thing that we um, we have evidence of of people saying like, I'm not sure what I saw. Right. Mm -hmm. is they come out of the theater in 1973 and like asking each other and going back and seeing the movie again. Right. Right. So this is kind of guaranteeing that um, different audience members are going to have a different experience because mm -hmm. you could you could blink. You could literally blink right. and miss this. Um, or you could like, you know, like like, I don't know, like check your popcorn or mm -hmm. something like that. I almost said check your phone, but like you wouldn't have your phone. Yeah. Check your um, rotary phone that you brought. Check your <laughs> That you brought to the exercise. <laughs> In case you need to call an ambulance to get out of there. Right. <laughs> oh, there are all, those, all, those... all these stories about people going into the lobby, you know, fainting, being dragged out. Uh, to right. the lobby by their friends and then having to call an ambulance. But, you know, yeah. if you had a phone in the theater with you, <laughs> mm -hmm. you save precious seconds. Yep. Yep. Now I'm, now I'm just imagining all the, all the ushers like tripping on like rotary phone <laughs> wires, you know, it's like, damn it. 
So we got we got to let them do this though. They, they you know this is this is good. It's good for business. All this publicity. The ambulances outside of the theaters literally became publicity <laughs> for for the exit. We go. Oh well, gosh, what is it? Did someone? Ha- oh no, this movie was just so fucking scary that they had to call an ambulance. Right? Like, oh great, I'll bring my kids next week. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm a good Catholic. I'll go see this. <laughs> All sorts of things. I mean, like, so yeah, you're talking about reaching out, but but say you know, um, seeing this really emotionally harrowing scene, maybe you you start to tear up and you mm-hmm, miss mm-hmm. Captain Howdy. Right. right. Yeah. This is like, not only is it sneaky in how uh, quickly it pops up and, and uh, disappears again, but it's, it's in a place that you kind of wouldn't expect it to be. Right. right? This is an emotional scene. This is not like a, like, Ooh, something scary is going to happen. This right. is like, Oh no, like Harris and his mother, like, Oh no, mm-hmm. you know? So, so it's like, it's, it's even jarring in that sense. But okay, so I want to break this thing down. Um, other people want to talk about the Mona Lisa or, or Starry Night or Last Supper. I, I want to talk about this thing, Keenan. Uh, what is it about this face, about this image that both of us seem to be like drawn to so much, right? W- what are the ingredients, the components, the, the, the boxes that are being checked off, um, you know, for us in this thing, right? I have some ideas like Keenan, you said that, you know, Captain Howdy is your favorite character mm-hmm. and, and correct me if I'm wrong. You're specifically referring to this guy right here, right? Even, yes. even to the point of, yeah, like even to the point of, uh, 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 thinking of him as like separate from like demonic Reagan or Pazuzu or, and yes, folks, we know as our, as our dear friend, Father Marin will later say, right, there is only one. <laughs> um, but, but when you say Captain Howdy, you mean this. Yes, this Captain Howdy guy who shows him people's dreams and it's like, and this Captain Howdy guy who plays the Ouija board, right, as the imaginary friend. Yeah, this is this is my dude. Okay, all right. (laughs) He's mischievous to me. That's what I like about him. Interesting. Okay, so you see him as like a like this almost maybe like like sprightly or maybe like gremlin, like um, Uh, monkey god type person like, because he kind of looks like a oh, monkey god. I'm so glad you said that. Oh, okay, that. great. <laughs> I am so glad. You didn't look at my future notes, did you? No, no, no. Oh, good. Oh, good. This is happening organically, <laughs> folks. The magic of podcasting. He's a monkey god. Okay, okay. great. Good. Yeah, let's let's hold on to that oh, monkey okay. thing for mm-hmm. just let's hold on to it with all of our opposable thumbs. <laughs> um and and yeah, we we are going to talk about that. Um but yeah, so Keenan, before we talk about uh the monkey god <laughs> that is Captain Howdy, Keenan, have you heard of the film Onibaba? I have heard of it, but I have not seen it, unfortunately. Okay. So I want you to hop onto Google, mm-hmm. hop onto our friend Google, and just Google Onibaba and yes. tell me what you see. This is probably – I believe I've seen the, this image. Let's see here. Hmm. Do, do, do. Hello, Google. Oh, no. <laughs> That's an Onibaba, all right. Yes, I've seen that image, and unfortunately I haven't seen um, – I haven't seen the rest of the movie. So the one that I'm most familiar with is a couple of, we see the same face, but the image I'm most familiar with, it's, it's, it's sort of like a no mask, a Japanese no mask. Yes. And the image that I'm most familiar with is this um, person, I guess it's a woman potentially, mm-hmm. or at least someone with long hair. And she's, um, she's holding the mask on and it looks like she's, um, it, it's an ambiguous feeling, but it looks like she is um, wincing in, in pain or terror at herself. Yes. Yeah. You're talking about the 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 expression of the, the mask, expression right? of the mask, and the, and the way that she's holding it up on her face, right, makes it look like she's in some kind of turmoil herself, right? Yes. Yeah. So, um, 
So apparently, Friedkin saw this movie, Onibaba, oh. and according to him, that according to him, that is the inspiration for this face we got here. Oh, very cool. I love hearing when Japanese film has influenced American film and vice versa. They we we think of them as being very separate, um, as being you know a world away, but they 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 go back and forth. Where in um in the early days, a lot of Japanese cinema is heavily influenced by American cinema, like the Western mm-hmm. John Ford westerns, right. and then after 1950, when Japanese cinema starts to be seen around the world, um then it becomes a back and forth where they're trading ideas and trading off style. Right. And I believe we have like what the, the seven samurai and the magnificent seven, like being like, um, uh, you know, kind of almost mirror images of each other. Well, um, yeah, I, you're being kinder. The magnificent seven is just an, is just a bootleg version of the seven samurai. It's just completely. Oh, well, there we go. And then a bug's life, I would say is more homage than rip off. Like that's a oh, bug's life oh, is yeah. seven samurai, but, but, that one I think is more like admitting it. Oh my gosh! Now that I think about it, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. The bug's life is it, it's the whole it's the whole story. It's exa- oh my yeah, gosh! It's seven samurai, exactly. Wow. Yeah, as in like we have these bandits who are attacking our town, and we're we're peaceful by nature. We're we're ants, right? And we can't do this, and so we need to get some. Um, some uh, outside uh, people to help us, and it turns out that they are not as put together as they are led to believe. Right. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, well, now I want to watch Bugs Life again. <laughs> <laughs> right, I don't know which which character. Like, I don't know if, if Heimlich is a, is a certain character. That's the Toshiro Mifune character from Seven Samurai. But yeah, it's the same story beats. <laughs> oh no, we have to we have to go we have we have to do this bit by bit, right? Like, who's Heimlich? Who's <laughs> who's the stick the stick guy? Yeah, right, who's the ladybug? Who's the who's the the um what's his name? Uh, Francis, oh, the ladybug. Francis, the ladybug, yeah. right? <laughs> Everyone thinks that he's, he's a, a lady ladybug and he gets really bad. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> P.T. Flea, okay. yes. P.T. Flea P. T. is, Flea. Uh, yeah, <laughs> is is the leader of them, yeah. And he looks a little yes. bit like um, the lead samurai, I suppose, now they think about it, Takashi Shimura's character. Oh, but, okay. Uh, well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> How deep does this go? Um <laughs> As deep as an anthill. Uh, um, but yeah, okay, okay. so folks, uh, just to kind of fill you in, so Onibaba is a Japanese film, and without giving too much away, one of the characters, like Keenan said, wears this uh, mask from uh, tra- traditional Japanese theater. Um, you've probably seen it before in uh, anime and uh, manga. This mask represents a creature called an Oni, that's O-N-I, which is a kind of Japanese demon. Not exactly the same as Western demons, mm-hmm. right? They are their own thing. And I, I highly recommend, like, if you like mythology and mythological creatures, like, I, I recommend check them out, Onis, O-N-I. Um, but within the Oni, there is a specific subgroup called uh, Onibaba, or demon hag, uh, like Baba being like the Japanese slang for old woman. Now, in no theater, that's N-O-H theater, I believe this mask is more commonly referred to as a Hanya mask. That's Um, H-A-N-N-Y-A. But they are the same. Specifically, they are a woman who has been turned into a demon out of uh, rage or jealousy or desire for vengeance, right? A vengeful vengeful spirit, right? Specifically specifically female. Uh, Now, I don't no, if Friedkin was looking at any of this lore necessarily, oh, right. I think he just, yeah, I think he just saw the mask and thought it looked scary, right? Which it does. It's it's a very unique look. Even if you look at other masks of other like Onis uh, or Oni, I don't know what the plural is. Um, they don't have yeah, plurals don't in Japanese. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If you look at uh, other masks of other Oni, like male Oni and stuff like that, this is a very specific, um, uh, 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 different look, right? Like you have like these like kind of, protruding bulging like brows that kind of like like hang over the eyes and make the eyes look kind of like i don't even know like sad or or 
like like you were saying, Keenan, like like in turmoil, right? Yeah, I think I'm trying to put put this into words for myself, even. But it's like it's like you're being haunted by something that has haunted itself, right? Yes, like you can you can see the possessed person's like terror, right? Almost. So yeah. it's coming to to, to Onibaba, you. But it's been Onibaba itself. Yeah, it, precisely, precisely. Um, <laughs> what is someone I got to do to get Onibaba around here? Like, before you Onibaba anybody else, Onibaba yourself. What is it? What is it? Oh, what is it like? Like Onibaba unto others as you would have y- yourself Onibaba right, unto, exactly. you know? Yeah. <laughs> There we go. Ask not what your country can Onibaba for you. <laughs> ask what you can Onibaba for your country. Yes, right. Uh. But there's this, um, right? In in Japan, we say an oni is a demon, which it is. But it, but in in Japanese culture and Japanese religion, the the native Japanese religion, which is called Shinto, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they there are spirits of everything. It, it's a, it's an animist style religion. I don't want to say that it's animist of itself, but but if right. we if we think of animist religions where there are spirits of rocks and spirits of um, of water and the, and the river and and this specific tree has a spirit. Um, so right. so this is in a world where there are oni. There are a world where everything has. I suppose mostly neutral spirits, right? Mm-mm, yeah. Not like everything is good and all the, all the spirits are good and then there's a couple bad ones. Most of them just mind their own business. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like even within the world of like, like there are spirits all over the place, like Oni are specifically like demonic, mm-hmm. right? But again, not like the demonic, like they're not like like the Christian, like fallen angels right. or anything like that. They don't, you know, it, it's, it's, it is, it is a different thing. And again, like, yeah, like, um, you know, check, check them out. Cause they are, they are really, really mm-hmm. interesting. They, they kind of feature as the like, um, stock villains in a lot of like the, the Japanese fairy mm-hmm. tales. Like I'm thinking like of, um, Momotaro oh, yeah. and, and, um, you know, like all of those, all of those stories about, you know, like someone going off to like seek their fortune and, and they gotta, you know, they gotta outsmart like all of the Oni and, you know, and all that stuff. And even like, um, if I remember right, you, you lived in Japan and I'm just a weeb, so mm-hmm. you can correct me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am, I am as uh, a weeb as well. So. <laughs> right. But like, even on like New Year's, right. You, you, you try to purify your house as this kind of a spring cleaning and say, Oni wa sato. Uh, right like like get out bad things out good things in yes so uh you're you're thinking of uh setsubun um which is yeah a specific holiday it's different from new year's but like yeah there is a there is a a holiday called setsubun where um you you literally you have this like box of of beans Um, I think they're soybeans. Soybeans, they're delicious. And, I ate them rather yeah. than throwing them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like they're 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 just these uncooked, like hard little mm-hmm. pebbly beans that you like throw at um, you know, you just kind of like throw and and you say it's like, you know, like you're you're chasing the bad luck. Mm-hmm. Because I guess, yeah, like they're also like associated with bad luck and bad, you know, misfortune and stuff like that. You're 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 chasing them out of the house, mm-hmm. right? And, and, you know, depending on like where you live, um, and you know, like how, how, (laughs) how fun your, your little community is, you might have like all of the males in the village or, Mm -hmm. or the town or whatever, like they'll put on like these little Oni masks Mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll run around and they'll scare, you know, the little kids and and the little kids have the opportunity of throwing like beans at their dad, (laughs) you know, um, and it's like, get out of here, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a nice little, it's, it's a really nice little holiday. Also, yeah. Also check out Setsubun, S-E-T-S-U-B-U-N. Um, the little Setsubun festivals, right? And you'll see, you'll see that those masks, 
that uh, the Oni wear are very, very different. They look like they look like if Mario was a devil, yeah. um, as opposed to this horrific uh, Oni Baba that we have. But yeah, okay. So let's get back to our buddy Captain Howdy here. Um, even if he was partially inspired by the Oni Baba mask, he's taken on a shape and a personality all his own for sure. Right? There's a couple of things I want to talk about. Firstly, again, I may have said this before, but what did demons and devils look like before? 1973. Mm -hmm. Like certainly not this, right? Again, no horns, no red face, no fangs, right? I've talked to people who've misremembered this guy and they say, oh yeah, the white face with the red eyes and the fangs. Mm. He doesn't have fangs. He just got regular people teeth. He has, he's got regular people teeth. Like they're very, very prominent. They're very, very obvious. These are regular people teeth and he doesn't have red eyes per se, right? Right. Mm -hmm. He has like red rimmed eyes, but like his eyes are just like eyes. Um, And also, okay, so this is one thing. He's not smiling. Mm -hmm. That's actually something that I really like and I want to comment on uh, a little bit later. But like most of the Captain Howdy images are not smiling. They're not like, "Ah, I'm going to get you, right? Maybe that one, uh, we'll have to go back and look at like the the one that was added in in the hospital. I think he like shows his teeth, but I don't know if that's necessarily a smile. I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but like in in that one, he's kind of like teasing Reagan. So maybe that's a smile, Uh right? In this one, he looks like he's either observing Karis or observing the dream that Karis is having or maybe both. And, and that's that's a good question. Keenan. what do you think is going on right now in the mind of the character of Captain Howdy? Is he looking at Karis? Is he the one planting the dream? Like he's not looking directly at the camera, mm-hmm. right? Like he's he was in the hospital when, he, you know, looking at Reagan and like he was looking at the camera right. because we are Reagan, right? Mm-hmm. In that one, I think he's like showing himself to Reagan. I don't know if he's showing himself or communicating with Karis here. It seems more like he's watching Karis from the shadows or maybe watching the dream. What do you think? Hmm. I, I think he, I, I know what you're saying. I think, I think you're right. I, I think it's good to point out that these are different shots. Than than the ones that he that we see um, in Reagan's uh, Reagan's point of view, right? Um, that one's looking directly at her at the camera. Um, yeah. I still think that that Captain Howdy is trying to be seen. I do, it does still feel to me like he's going oh booga booga boo. <laughs> so, uh, I, got, yeah, I think he wants. I don't think he's like. I don't think we're meant to be like. Oh, he's he's hiding in the dream, or you know um, that Karis doesn't isn't supposed to see him. I think this is like Howdy, <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> hey, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I think we might have a slightly different yeah, interpretation, yeah, yeah. but like, but whatever, whatever it is, he looks hungry, mm-hmm. right? He, yes, he, uh-huh. he, he looks like careful planning is about to come to fruition, mm-hmm. right? With, with the completion of this dream, he, he sees that the dream is working on Karis and he's like, yes, just a little more, just almost there. So close. Right. right? And, and, and whether or not he's planting this dream, like he's watching it very intently. Mm-hmm. He's very invested in how this dream affects Karis, right? right? Um, th- this look of hunger actually, actually it reminds me of, um, in the two towers, right? There's this close-up of Gollum's face. Uh, we first meet him, and he's like sort of ambushed Frodo and Sam. He's he's uh, you know climbing down this cliff face, and then he pounces on them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and like now he's like uh, you know uh, wrestling them, and he's he's on top of Frodo, mm-hmm. right? And um, 
he's he's reaching for the ring and he almost has it and and they close up on his face and he strains to grab it and his eyes bulge and he bites down on his uh, uh, lower lip and his his cheeks sort of like puff mm-hmm. out right as he's as he's straining he's so close he's so hungry and that reminded me of of this captain howdy face right like it's this this intense hungry look like he's so close right like this is another chess piece that he's he's moving and it's almost in the perfect position mm-hmm. right yeah he's straining he's uh yeah he is uh, maybe desperate in the way that you're saying even. Like, Could be, yeah. yeah, right? Like like he's, 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 he sees something within his grasp, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's almost maybe like, like you know, uh, this, is, this is Palpatine levels of like, you know, uh, putting stuff together, mm-hmm. right? He's trying to get everybody, everybody like together at the end, mm-hmm. right? He's trying to bring Karis, he's trying to bring Marin, he's trying to bring everybody together, right? And so he's like, good, good, <laughs> right? Like Palpatine would be, it's like almost, right? It's almost there, right? Feel it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, let the anger flow through you. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of that, right? Palpatine has his 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 little hood. Oh yeah. Right. Um, we never know what what the rest of his like head looks like. <laughs> um. So I'm actually very curious, Keenan. What? Like, I'm curious of what you think about what's going on with the rest of Captain Howdy. Like, oh. what does he look like? If like if we turned on all the lights, mm-hmm. right? What would we see? Oh. Like. We know that his face is white. Is his whole head also white? Is is that black stuff on his cheeks and his brow? Is that supposed to be shadow, or is that his skin color? Like like he's like one of those like black cats with a white face. Hmm. Yes. 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 That's what I always assumed. I never. I haven't thought about it. But yeah, like we turn on the lights and he's all in like Ed Hardy and like big right. gold chains and. He's <laughs> 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 got like sleeve tattoos. I don't know. I've never thought about it. Uh, yeah. I, I guess, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess I prefer since I, yeah, there's nothing else I had thought. I guess I prefer that he is, he's just the white face and everything else is black, black, black. Okay. Yes. I, I think, I think you and I are on the same page. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause, cause for me, that shading like around his like cheeks and, and everything like is a little bit too stark, mm-hmm. right? I cannot see it as like shadow, mm-hmm. right? Like right. I, I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if that's what they were trying to do. Like, oh, like, like we're going to put him, we're going to put Eileen Dietz in, in blackness and we want it to be like, like just the white part of her face is like, like peeking out from the blackness. But you would, you would see like, like, um, gradients of 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 light right right? you would see like the dome of his head you would see like his ears and stuff like that if if the light was like shining on the face like that brightly you would see the rest of you would see the outline right um staring at this image of captain howdy as i Mm -hmm. often do before i go to sleep i have this picture (laughs) on my bedside table and just (laughs) wait really no no. (laughs) it calms me i'm so gullible right (laughs) it chills me out Mm -hmm. no um, it chills me out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right some people put on the news and, and fall asleep to fallon i fall asleep to captain howdy no but but i think that the edges of her face um where where it's white i believe that she actually has red makeup um that are sort of the edges here oh. um so if you want to pull that up again if you yeah. have a shot of it um, yeah i'm looking yeah the the edges of her i think that i think what is actually um receding into darkness is mm-hmm. red rather than and then it goes into black oh interesting yeah it's it's like this weird reddish brown thing mm-hmm. that's going on right right so i don't think they just draw a just draw a black line around her and then cover the rest of her in black i think they're drawing a red line and and it's blurred a little bit and then it goes interesting in okay so we're even like it's it's even more obviously a, a part of the face and not like the shadows that are that are obscuring the face right and i want to say so this is eileen Dietz again and yes. um mm-hmm. have we just been stereotypically like um 
misogynist, uh, chauvinistic pigs and just assuming that a, 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 a lady demon can't be a captain. You're absolutely right. Because in, in my notes, I keep on referring to uh, the demon as as he. he yeah, he, everybody he. says that, right? Yeah, we all we all say that, right? If we're like, oh, I went and saw Dr. Klein. Oh, how is he? Right. Like, why can't Dr. Klein be a woman? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, I don't why know. can't there's, he be one? I, I, would, I would much prefer that, actually, in this in this movie. <laughs> Get this guy out of here. No, no offense to Barton Heyman, but like, yeah, if if Chris were dealing with another woman, this would be a shorter movie, <laughs> right? None of this, um, none of this male ego bullshit. Oh yeah, all these tests that we have to put her through, your yeah. poor daughter through, right? Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I know that intellectually, right? Pazuzu is a male demon, but right. I mean, what makes Captain Howdy a male except that he has a male job? I suppose for the night. A male? Oh, oh, I, you're you're talking about Captain. You're not talking yeah. about like demonic possessor. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean Captain. Yeah, he's Captain Howdy. Only men can be demons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm still always. Um, like doctors no longer, you right. know, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but like, we don't necessarily think of, um, you know, oh, if it's doctor, it must be man, even though we, we catch ourselves all the time saying that in language, right? Right. But like, when we hear, oh, my doctor is, is a woman, we don't go, oh, yeah. but like still, so I'm always surprised when, when there are still jobs that are like that, that are gendered, like, um, you know, um. I, I can remember like the three times I've had a, a woman who's the um, the pilot of my you know commercial flight. You know right. What I mean? And like, oh, it's, it's weird how, how there are still these um, these these barriers. Yeah, there's actually so I actually on my uh, door at school, I have um, what I refer to as like a really easy riddle. Right. Mm -hmm. And the riddle uh, goes, let me see if I can you know remember it from uh, from photographic memory. Um, so uh, a man and his son were in a car crash and they get rushed to the hospital. And, um, the, uh, uh, the doctor comes in and the doctor looks at the son and says, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. How is this possible? Mm -hmm. And like the hoops, I mean, okay. The answer of that is that, you know, the doctor is his mother, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like, if you, and you know, we, we sort of gave that away with what right. we're talking about and everything, but I tell you, Keenan, like you, you go and you pose that riddle today, mm -hmm. even to people and they will go through hoops. They'll be like, oh, okay. So the father was in the car crash with him. The father is a doctor ghost. <laughs> uh, the boy has two fathers. Uh, this is his adopted father. This is what they will go. They will bend over backwards before they come to the conclusion that this boy has a mother and a father and the mother is the doctor. Right. Yeah. I do like the, um, the, 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 uh, Generation Z answer that he has two two fathers. I mean, mm. that's that's a new acceptable answer, right? Um, yeah, but yeah, but exactly. That, they've been doing that riddle forever, and it's interesting how you can still catch people. Or time um, travel. They'll go into time travel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so you know, um, yeah, women can be demons who possess little girls. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You come a long way, yes. Baba. Now, now, and yeah, Onibaba, Onibaba is, is specifically, you know, um, a, a female demon. Although, actually, I don't think that that uh, that's a very good representation of uh, of that because I think they're basically just saying whenever a woman gets uh, angry or emotional mm -hmm. that she becomes oh, this demon, this Onibaba. Right, you know, exactly. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, kids, you can do whatever you want when you grow up. Yeah, you can be president, <laughs> you can be Pazuzu, you can be President Pazuzu, mm -hmm. Madam President Pazuzu. Let's make it happen, Pazuzu, twenty twenty three. No. <laughs> 
But yeah, so uh, I, just to <laughs> just to jump back, um, you know, uh, and talk about this this shading on the face, right? Uh, for me, like I said, that shading is like just too stark, right? I can't see it as shadow. I can only see it as part of uh, uh, Captain Howdy, and so I always took that to be like if you turned on the lights, Captain Howdy would be covered in like black fur with that mm-hmm. white face, like like I saw I saw mm-hmm. Planet of the Apes before mm-hmm. I saw Captain Howdy. And just like the shape of the like the surrounding blackness that is that is definitely not shadow, right? The the way it frames the face reminds me of uh, Cornelius from Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. right? And folks, I'm not saying that Eileen Dietz looks like a monkey. Uh, that is that is not <laughs> what I'm saying. I, I'm saying that if you frame the human face in this way, guys, guys with beards, shave your mustache, <laughs> shave uh, shave the front of your beard, shave your eyebrows, but leave like the 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 bottom of the beard, leave the the mutton chops, the sideburns. That's what a monkey face looks like, right? We all look like monkeys if you do this, right? And I cannot unsee, and and maybe that's why Captain Howdy doesn't like you know scare me the way that uh, you know uh, Captain Howdy seems to scare other people, right? Um, <laughs> But, you know, maybe now I've made it less scary for you. I don't know. I don't know if I should apologize for that or, you know. <laughs> uh, and before we get any emails, which we love emails at the exorcist minute, all one word at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, Cornelius is not a monkey. He is a chimpanzee. We are aware oh. that chimpanzees are apes on the planet of the apes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I we thought know you were the pretty- difference. Okay. Yes. Don't yes, we do. It. Right. Yes. He doesn't have a tail. He's he, he is a tail. chimpanzee. Right. Cornelius He's, and you know. Zira are are chimpanzees. Doctor Cornelius and Doctor Zira. <laughs> and Doctor Zayas is an orangutan, and yes. the other ones are gorillas. I don't know if any of them. They must have names. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I thought I thought you were jumping in about the emails, uh, you know, to, to talk about like how I just basically said all humans look like monkeys, and no, you were like, no, no, no. Well, I mean, we I, are we, we are apes. We do. We yeah, are we, apes. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, it shouldn't be surprising that humans look like apes. We are yeah, apes. Right. There's actually, um, I was reading an article before how. <sighs> You know how, like, 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 very unfortunately, um, you know, some some racist people will uh-huh. will use derogatory, um, uh, you know, language to mm-hmm. to compare other races to like monkeys and everything mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Apparently, like all across the board, um, any race that comes into contact with another race mm-hmm. um, will say that that race looks like monkeys. Right, mm-hmm. including uh, uh, white people, we have mm-hmm. been called the blue monkeys by mm-hmm. other races that like that have seen us for the first time. Right, right? so which is to say, we all have monkey features, or uh, sorry, <laughs> ape features. <laughs> right, but every every culture like to otherize they 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 often go towards you look like you're subhuman, right? Right, you, you look like the the next step down from a human, which would be a ma- yes. a, a macaque or something. Yeah. yeah, and because you don't look exactly like us, mm-hmm. we're going to notice the things that like the you know the primate features, which all of us have because we you are know, primates. Because we are primates, right? Um, but yeah, you know so, who's the biggest primate is um, uh, Pope Francis because he's I, the primate. Sorry, you got it. He's the primate of Rome. <laughs> Wait, you what? <laughs> you don't know that? Pope you have Francis. to you have to give me some context. context. Oh, that, what? that's his title. He's the primate of Rome. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. The primate of Rome. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. Google, help me out. <laughs> it's not that I don't trust you. Hang on. You can cut all this out if it's. Yeah, if yeah, I, yeah. I thought that was known enough, but primate of Rome. Uh huh. Yeah. From Latin primus, meaning the first one. Primate <laughs> is a title bestowed upon bishops, and the bishop of Rome, the Pope, is the primate of Italy. Right. What? <laughs> what? Keenan, now all I can see in in my head 
like forget the you know the Statue of Liberty, forget the mm. the Lincoln uh, you know memorial at the end of Planet <laughs> of the Apes. We gotta we gotta have a scene where the primate of Rome turns around at the end and he gives everybody a blessing, and he's a chimpanzee. <laughs> But yes, like we should, that should be a movie that we write is the primate yes. of Italy. And it's about the monkey who becomes the, the first, uh, the first chimpanzee who becomes the Pope. Oh my God. It could be animated or whatever. That's fine. Yes. Yeah, sure. Sure. Whatever. We'll, we'll get Andy Circus to do it. If not, you know, yeah. Wow. Okay, anyways. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> But yeah, okay. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super glad that uh, that we see Captain Howdy the same way. I mean, like, you know, like see how see Captain Howdy however you want. Um, right. Uh, actually, uh, when I did the like the AI, um, you know, imagining Captain Howdy like uh, and Christmas, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that I put up on the compelling conversations thing, they they tried so hard. AI tried so hard to complete Captain Howdy's like body. <laughs> and like give him give him like a head and ears and and like a you know a neck and everything like that and i don't know the results are pretty interesting as as much as i you know, like disagree morally with um uh, uh with ai now ai art now yeah. um but i might sure post fun. those up yes right <laughs> um the, the the ai has already generated these images i might uh, put them up in the um facebook group uh but yeah uh so actually folks we also do have uh, a Facebook page for the show, The Exorcist Minute. So, you know, like and follow that for updates. And like I said, we have a listener group. It's called Compelling Conversations. Come and join and then you'll be in here with us, right? And you can post the memes. You can interact with fans. You can talk with us. We're also pretty active on there. And it's a great group of people uh, we got in there already. Um, lastly, if you like the show, the best thing you can do, uh, for a podcast that's just starting out is to leave a little five-star review and that'll help us reach more people and keep, uh, growing this cool community. All right. Yeah. Keenan, is there anything else that we need for this minute? No, I think we got it. All right. So Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am Lester. Folks until next time, the, the power, power of, of Onibaba, Onibaba compels you. Pazuzu 2023. No, 20. <laughs> Pazuzu 20. What, what, what's the 2024. next one? 2024. 2024. Pazuzu 2024. <laughs> Your mother sucks cocks in hell with universal health care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm laughing because that's so horrible. <laughs> right. Well. <laughs> Pazuzu would bring universal health care, you know, and, and also famine and, and plague and, and, and all that stuff. But universal health care. Right. Um, Pazuzu yeah. is weak on the border. You know, he comes from Iraq and just goes into oh, our geez. nation's capital. Oh, God. That would be that would be like whoever whoever is running against Pazuzu. They, that would be the first thing that they mention. It's like, you know, it's like Madam President Saddam Pazuzu over here. Pazuzu Hussein uh, Howdy. <laughs> Crooked Pazuzu. God. Yeah. Drain, okay, anyway. drain the swamp, specifically outside of the McNeil house, because that's where the yeah. demons live. <laughs> <laughs>